Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 120. Hey guys, this is Pejman Gadimi from Secret Entourage. My friends know me as PJ, and if you want to learn how to create your own entourage, you definitely need to be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my really good friend, Travis Chapel. Like, you have to hear it. So make sure you listen to it and listen to my episode first. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you have not done this already, please go ahead and schedule a quick chat with me. I would love to talk with you sometime just for 10 or 15 minutes over the phone. Um, head on over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash F. And in the pinned welcome post in the top of my Facebook group, you'll see a link that goes directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a quick chat. I'd love to talk with you sometime. So I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, 
Pejman Gadimi. Pejman is a self-made entrepreneur and best-selling author born in 1982 in the middle of a revolution in Iran, raised in France for the majority of his childhood and eventually migrating to the United States in 1997. Raised by a single mother his entire life with very limited resources, Pejman quickly adapted to the idea of being resourceful. Due to lack of finances and the inability to go to college due to family obligations, Pejman chose to start working from a young age and focused his efforts on banking, where he built a name for himself very quickly, climbing the ladder all the way to the VP level in a short four-year span, all without any type of formal education or formalized training. Fast forward three more years and Pijman left banking with a significant amount of experience and incredible salary, history, and real estate portfolio to die for, which was later leveraged to founding three major businesses, VIP Motoring, Secret Consulting, and Secret Entourage, which collectively have grossed over $65 million in revenue annually. Pijman has authored 10 books to date. His most recent bestseller, Third Circle Theory, sold 700,000 plus copies to date despite being self-published. While currently being financially independent, Pejman focuses his efforts on teaching others the importance of self-awareness, belief, and the power of defining your role and purpose to others through the Secret Entourage Academy, as well as to a select few on a one-on-one basis. Pejman, welcome to the show, brother. Super excited to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're most excited about right now? So first off, I appreciate you having me on, Travis. And you know what I'm really excited about is that yesterday marked the uh, one-year anniversary launch of a platform I have called The Watch Conspiracy, where I've been teaching people how to flip luxury watches. Uh, That's something that I've done for quite some time, and I thought I would start teaching it. And actually, as of yesterday, I also created my first student that hit a quarter million dollars in profit in four months trading watches. So I got really excited that on the one year anniversary, it was like a double you know, gift for the actual, not only for the platform, but also for all the efforts we put in teaching people how to do this, which was incredible to see how easy and adaptable it is for people to be able to just learn so much on the internet, right? It's like a dream come true. Okay. 10 years ago, I thought I would be able to teach online. And now we're like creating like people that are making that kind of money in just like three, four months. It's incredible. That's crazy. That's crazy. Flipping luxury watches, man. I love a couple of things that you do because they're so like unconventional, right? Like people are always like, don't invest in exotic cars. Don't invest in really nice watches, luxury watches. Don't invest in this or that. And yet you find a way to not only invest and not lose money, but actually make money while you get to drive an exotic or while you get to wear a luxury watch. So it sounds- thinking has been dead, right? We know that. Exactly. So that's exactly what I want to get into because it sounds like your resourcefulness is something that's always been in you, even starting from your childhood. So talk to us about (laughs) being born in Iran, moving to France, coming to the States. What was that whole transition period like for you? I mean, you know, as a kid, you don't have much of a choice, right? Wherever your parents go, you kind of go, you just do whatever you're told and you just stay quiet and you try not to get your ass kicked as much as you have to. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, like just coming country to country was just interesting to just transition from, you know, having a lot of money in Iran to being refugees of the war and ending up in France and living in basements only to try to build something in France with my mom, like meaning she had as a single mother, like killed herself to try to really get there, you know, and really do whatever she could to give us at least a home and basically a business to kind of start and do something, you know. And she never really made it per se, but she always did enough so that we always had sheltered one form or another. And so after finally making it to some average, basic, low-income kind of starting ground in France after 10 years, time to leave again and go to the United States and again be stuck in a basement. You know, so I think I just came to the conclusion at some point, I think it was when I was actually living in a basement, that I was just tired of it. 
And it wasn't my mom's fault. I never blamed her for it. It was just the fact that it was one person fighting for the world. Yeah. And that yeah. person was getting old and she had done it over and over. And I said, you know what? I may not have much. I may not have any skills, but I'm 14. You know, I got two arms, two legs. So let's try to find a way to get to work. And, you know, as much as I wanted to work, nobody would even hire me because yeah. I didn't have a green card. And so, you know, even going to McDonald's, begging a guy to clean his floors for three bucks an hour, he would like look at me and be like, I can't even pay you because I'll get fired. So I couldn't even get a job. And so the idea was that my entire life from that moment and everything to the end has never been a one to one ratio. You know, it's never been apply for a job, get a job. It's always been figure out a hundred different ways to get in the door somewhere before you can even be given a chance at a job. You know, yeah. if you want a car, figure out a hundred different ways before you can even get to the basis of even having a driver's license, you know? So it's always been, I guess, from a very young age, a life of constant war, like mm -hmm. with the yeah. idea of wanting something and not being able to just go for it. Like most people, you know, like most people have this entitled, I guess, mindset, because it's like they have so much access to things, right? right, right. They want a car. Well, there's low payments. There's different ways you can get a car. You don't even need money down. You know, in this country, everything's like great. But in my mind and in my life, it's always been the opposite. Every time I wanted something, there's never been an easy one-off solution. So it's always been a constant road to everything took effort, everything took resourcefulness. And I think, I guess now it's a good thing because today I'm so resourceful that I never see a, a closed door as a reason why it can't be open in a week. Right, right. So that's exactly the whole point, right? Is that you, when you were trying to get a job and they told you no a bunch of different times, most people at that point just blame the system, blame the culture mm -hmm. around them, go apply for welfare, and then use that as an excuse to sit on their butt their entire lives and never do anything productive or anything like that. And then blame it on the fact that it's everybody else's fault, that they tried and that they couldn't do anything about it. So that's what I love so much about your story is that that resourcefulness has taken you into now launched a career where you've made millions and millions of dollars in several different sectors across many different industries and all that kind of stuff. But it all started because you have that ability. Like, like you said, if the front door is locked, go kick in the back door, like find a different way to get in, climb through a window. Like there's so many different ways to get into these different opportunities and so many people give up on it too soon. How do you think the way that you were raised, how do you think that played into your success? Do you think that being an immigrant gave you an edge or do you think that it like put you, made you start from behind or either one? Do you think it was a level playing field? I think it's a level playing field for everybody because I think we all have different baselines, right? I talk a lot about this in my book, Third Circle Theory, even in its sequel radius is the idea is that, you know, we all start with a different baseline, but while that baseline is different monetarily, you know, some kids are maybe born into wealth, other kids are born dirt poor. Mm -hmm. We all struggle from different fears, right? Like even rich kids still struggle from a lot of things mentally, you know, like there's a lot of different fears. There's a lot of fears of disappointing their fathers, mothers. There's fear of not living up to the expectations, having to go to school, not having choices in the way that people who perhaps don't have such high-level educated parents or rich parents to begin with have, right? Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, they have access to things early on, like cars, housing, and everything else, versus poor kids don't. You know, So it's like they, everybody faces their own demons and fears starting off. So I think the world has a very even playing field, even if from the surface it may seem like it's you know, so much gravier for some people than others, mm -hmm. which is also why we see many rich people kind of from the beginning, you know, never amount to much. And we see plenty of poor people fight through the struggles and the same as vice versa. You know, we also see plenty of poor people stay poor their whole life. So again, I don't think there's a right or wrong. There's only 
the fact that I think I came from a country where I realized the value of work. You know, France didn't have that much work. And I saw my mom go through those trenches over and over and over and never give up. And I think that's the one thing I took back from the journey I had with my mom is that she never gave up, meaning no matter how bad it got, no matter how many thoughts of suicide went to her head, she never gave up. There's no choice. And the alternative for me as I grew older, meaning 14, 15, not old enough to do much, but as I got to that age, the alternative to doing nothing was staying nothing. And the one thing I realized very young, Travis, like very, very young, was not that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I wanted to be a, an executive, a banker, and none of these things that happened to me through my life. What I knew then is that I didn't want to be poor. And that was the driving factor that led me to saying, look, I would rather make $1 an hour than no money an hour. Mm -hmm. So I never had in my mind to be like, I earn or deserve 14 an hour. I won't work for less than 10. There's no sense because, of entitlement at all. No, because yeah. if I worked one hour, and I got a dollar was better than sitting on my ass one hour and getting zero dollars. So I thought <laughs> if that's the value of my life at that moment, because I had no skills, you know, maybe I was an idiot. I didn't understand much. Maybe my language wasn't as good as other people, but it didn't matter because a dollar was better than zero. And if mm -hmm. someone was willing to pay me $2 for that hour, then I would do a go there. Right. Mm -hmm. And then $5. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, someone said, Hey, you know what? You've worked so many different things for some little pay. Eventually, you have some skills now. You're doing some stuff that we can use here, and we pay eight bucks an hour for that. Right. And I was like, sure, I'll do that too. So I never even cared that, like, what was the job? Am I going to enjoy it? You know, is it going to be cold outside when I wash cars? Am I going to enjoy telemarketing? Yeah. Is that going to be fun for me? Am is I it my passion? It? Yeah. Yeah. Are people <laughs> going to be mean to me maybe on the phone? Like, I didn't give a crap, right? I was like, hey, you know what? I have to work. This is a job. And I took it really seriously. When I actually got my first job as a telemarketer and I tricked them to not knowing I didn't have a green card or the right to work, you know, one of the things that happened is everybody in that office kept turning over, over and over because people hated their job. They were like, oh, I keep calling people. They hang up on me. They call me names. And you want to laugh, but my first customer's name was Mr. Black Dick. I'm not even joking. I'm that serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that serious, man. Like, <laughs> so I called this guy oh and I gosh. like, torn a new one because someone had literally joked and and written <laughs> you know and i didn't know because i was this immigrant kid and i'm like is mr dick black there is there a black dick home and you know he's losing his crap right he's like Dude. and he's tearing me a new one and he hangs up and this was my first experience that's so funny and so i was like almost in tears i'm like man these people are brutal you know yeah no kidding so no kidding he got me to this place that was like you know what like, I don't have a choice. Maybe people have this turnover mentality where they'll go find another job. But if I get fired, then I don't know what else I'm going to do. You know, I mm -hmm. might have six months where I have to figure something out in between. And I can't help my mom with not a dollar, not $10, not $100, not anything. Yeah. So I took it really seriously. You know, and as many people, as many jokes, as many hurdles I had to overcome to kind of get to a place where people paid attention to what I had to say, mm -hmm. I took it seriously. And the fact that I did nothing more than my job, not even like go out of my way and become an expert, but just do my job. Every hour I was there without taking a break, without complaining, eventually based on the process of el elimination that everybody had turned over and nobody was working in the office on a consistent basis, every six months would get me promoted to a new shift. Because they were like, oh, this kid's still here. Well, make him telemarketing manager or make him canvas manager, make him office manager. Mm -hmm. So by 18 in that same company and by having a green card by then, 
I was already the director of that company making 80K a year. Wow. So the point was that the only thing I did, I didn't even like blow everyone's mind, kill it in sales. You know, I was pretty productive and I got good sales, but I wasn't like a master at it. All that happened is I did my job, I shut up and I stayed consistent. Yeah, you stuck that it out, happened. yeah. And that gave me the baseline to being able to become a bank manager at the age of 18. Yeah, so that was the next question. So you start into banking at this point then, right? So the telemarketing was when you were 16, 17, 18, and then you no, got 14, into banking? 14 to 18. So that was the banking that you were. So four years, all of a sudden, like you're the VP of this company and you're 18 years old with absolutely no previous experience and absolutely no education at all. No, so at 14 to 18, I worked in this telemarketing company. By the time I graduated high school, I was the director of that company that had multiple locations doing roofing and siding. Okay. You know, gotcha. just telemarketing. And then I wanted to, my mom obviously what, having a- What was the name of that company, by the way? It was called the US Remodeling back then. Okay. It's long closed, but it was a remodeling company that just, you know, telemarketing for roofing, siding yeah, jobs. Yeah. And like Southern else. California area or? No, no, no. It was actually in Northern Virginia. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Yeah. And so really good area, lots of money, you know, very calm and government backed kind of area. So, mm -hmm. you know, I do that. And then at 18, I actually literally come up with a hundred reasons why I should be a bank manager. And everybody thinks I'm like out of my mind because they're like, well, okay, an 18 year old bank manager without a degree. And I convince one manager to get me an interview after like six interviews to get me an interview with the regional. And I blow his mind on how good I am at sales from all this past experience I have. And he gives me a manager trainee job at 18. And wow. in three months after being in that job, he pulls me out of training and gives me a branch. So I'm still 18 and I get my first bank to run. And I know nothing about banking. I don't understand crap about anything but sales and service. And I still don't know how to use a computer well because we didn't have that kind of money, you know? So right. it was like, it is what it is, you know, like, and I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll figure and it so out. And exactly. so I did really well there and I kept going for about seven years. And there, that's where I became VP of a bank because I went from manager to regional manager to executive VP and so on and so forth until I was let go seven years later. So what? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent 
fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Kind of a role did confidence play in your ability to land that job and excel in it really quickly? Well, you know, it wasn't confidence in what I knew. It was confidence in my ability to figure it out. So I said, it's not about like the confidence as I come in and I know everything. But the point was that I had enough confidence in myself to know that if I didn't know it, I was willing to figure it out. And there was nothing that was going to prevent me from figuring it out. That was kind of like the angle, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Where do you think that that amount of self-confidence came from? Like from previous experiences and stuff like that? Or was it just something that was wired in you that's just like, look, I'm I'm going to figure this out no matter what? No, it's from wanting something bad enough, right? I think if we all want something bad enough, we find ways to make it happen. You know, and for me, it never crossed my mind that it was extraordinary that I was an 18 year old in a position that I was in. Hmm. And I never took that for granted where I was like, oh, I'm so good. I deserve this. You know, like I've earned this. No, like it was just it blew my mind because in no other country would that have been possible. And so I was sitting there like looking and I was like. There's another guy next to me, he's 25 and he's a regional manager. And I'm like looking there and I'm like, that could be me. Hmm. And so I was like the possibility is so crazy that first off, I'm 18 here without even going to college. And two, that I 25, you know, given that long later, I could have the next job up, which I ended up getting in a year after, not even, you know, by 25, but by 19. But the point was that the confidence came from the desire to want to be there instead of fighting reasons why I shouldn't be there and instead should have something better. I mean, so many people look, complain about their job, right? Yeah. Like they have a cashier job and they're like, this is garbage. This isn't my career. This isn't what I want to do. Any job I've ever had, I understood that I accepted that job. It wasn't given, like I accepted to take that job as much as they accepted to hire me. Hmm. And I owed them an obligation to fulfill the money they were paying me for what I was doing. There's the whole key right there is that you felt like you owed them. Most people Correct, think 100%. that everybody owes them, right? Well, so, I mean, like, they were giving me money, right? Right, like, yeah. Who doesn't owe them? Like if a client comes to you and is like, look, you're not that rich. I'm going to give you a million dollars to do this for me. Well, you're going to do it for a week and then be like, oh, I'm kind of bored of this. You yeah. know, I'd like some <laughs> new terms. And you're like, what, a week ago, you didn't have a million dollars. What right, are you talking about? Right, yeah, exactly. You know, why are you not already super excited about the future? Look at what happened by just doing your job. And that's mm-hmm. the key. Like my entire success in corporate America was never founded on excellence or top of the line sales or anything. You know what it was founded on? On this basic principle. Everybody came to work. 40 hours a week, right? That was the norm in corporate America. Mm -hmm. And I realized the first day I was at work that people worked an average of 10 hours a week. So every time my teams were selected and every person I fired, which I fired people left and right, they called me the Terminator. And I hired people (laughs) off the street and I taught them everything like people taught me. So I was like, okay, I can teach this kid how to do this and that. And what ended up happening is the one process I had that's pretty much gave me every promotion I had was that I spent the full 40 hours at work working. Hmm. That was it. Like everyone that was hired on my team was not allowed to do overtime. They only had 40 hours to be the best version of themselves in those 40. And because of that, my five people team originally was working like a 25 people team. Gotcha. Because people are working literally 10 hours a week and I'm working 40, right? You know, in my team's 
40. So mm-hmm. it's like you have four times more staff. Right, right. Being at work doesn't mean that you're working. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And then we took it seriously. You know, I hired people off the street who paid attention, who were like, hey, this is a chance. This is an opportunity. I'm going to kill it. And they didn't complain. And the complaint thing was the moment somebody complained, they were fired. Hmm. Yeah, totally. That was my thing. I didn't complain, nor did they. You know, that's it the end. It all of- comes back to that sense of entitlement that we were talking about at the beginning. Because right. like you're saying, like the person that hates their cashier job thinks that the world owes them a better job instead of them right. thinking that they owe the company their time because they're paying them something and that they should be mm-hmm. grateful for that and then try to get better at it and earn another job. That's just, to me, what the whole thing comes down to. And especially in corporate America, you have a bunch of people that graduated from college and feel like they deserve a certain job. And then you went ahead and you're like, you know what, if you don't want to work, I'm going to find something that's willing to work. They may not be as experienced or you or know as much stuff as you, but I'm going to teach them everything. And then they're going to come in and want to work because this is a job that pays them and they feel like they owe it to me and to the company to work. And it seems like such an easy concept, but it seems like it goes over a lot of people's heads. Would you agree? Yeah, but life is so simple that it's just not easy, right? Right. But the simplicity of life is like mind boggling, like how complicated people make it for themselves. And I'm like, it's really simple. If you're unhappy in your relationship, get divorced. It's that simple. Like leave. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to complicate. Like just leave. If yeah. you're unhappy with your job and you think you have the right to complain five minutes, then why are you complaining? Just find a better job. Do something different. And if you don't, then during that time, then at least do your job. Because if you haven't changed your circumstance, then you're not allowed to complain and give up, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, if you're still working, exactly. then fine, work. And if instead of complaining, every day you go home after your job, apply on Monster, on Indeed, on thousands of places and apply for a job. You don't have to start your own dream tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. This isn't a movie, you know, where your passion <laughs> yeah, right. gets in front of your eyes like fire and you're like, I knew I would build the next app. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't work that way, right? Like, so- People, I always tell people, I'm like, stop being a clown. If you don't like your job, you don't have to go from job to building a multi-million dollar company. Find a better job. Find something you enjoy doing for the 20, 30 hours you're going to spend with someone else. And if you hate the people you work with, then why do you work there? But why complain about it? Like, why make everybody else's life miserable there? Why not do your part? Why make your boss want to fire you and end them bad terms? You know, like, Mm -hmm. why do this? Because it's easier to blame everything on everybody else instead of taking radical responsibility for where you are in life. So people just go their whole lives doing that. But, but what did they say? It's also easier to watch another guy drive a Ferrari down the street five years later and be like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. All right, bro. Let's go ahead and move on to the conversation. Talk a little bit about networking here since this is the Build Your Network podcast. I'm really excited to get into this conversation with you because I followed uh, Secret Entourage for a really long time before I even realized that it was you who who was the one like at the helm of the whole thing. And it was always something that fascinated me. So I start the conversation going with this question and then we'll get into a couple other things. But do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? I definitely think who you know holds more weight than what you know. But I think they're both relevant because if you don't know anything, then no one's going to need to know anything from you. So you're not going to meet anybody. You know, like, so you have to be a person of value to be able to open your networks out to people. I think that's the key to just the key to networking is understanding what your value proposition is in the realm of the conversation you're about to start at any given time. I think people have so lost this art of understanding what they're good at that they don't understand what value they can bring to others. So in context, they can never network properly with people. They just pitch and get pitched instead of building a real network. Like they go somewhere and they're like, 
hey, I'm a realtor. Next time you have a real estate transaction, you should talk to me. Like, why the hell would I want to talk to you? I don't know you. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to give you a business, like 50K commission on my next house. I don't know who you are. So I think if you don't understand the value you bring, you know, like in what your role is, then you're spending so much time pitching yourself that ultimately you're never really building a real network, something that's valuable in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. So if you were talking to somebody right now and they asked you, hey, should I spend more time and money this year on reading books and taking classes or should I spend more time and money this year on getting to know people that are better than me so that I can learn from them? What would you say? I actually, believe it or not, this is going to sound really bad because I said this in interviews and people don't believe me. So I've written 11 books. I've never read a book. I hate reading (laughs) I hate reading. I'm telling people things. They're like, oh, he's secretly sitting in the back reading books. I'm like, like, I hate it. I can't do it. I've tried. I've bought a lot of books. And then five minutes later, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah." Like, this isn't going to (laughs) work. And I go back to like doing something else. I can't learn words when it comes to, I just can't learn from reading. And I can't learn from listening. Okay. Like, I just can't. Like, meaning like, I cannot sit there and listen to an audiobook and take back anything. My okay. mind is all over the place and it's impossible. Okay. One of the best ways I've found to have grown and learned in my life is through my eyes. Okay. I'm a visual person. I'm an observant person. So I pay attention to people who had done better than me. And I didn't like mind boggle them every five minutes with, how do you do this? How do you make money? What do you do? You know, it was more like pay attention to what they do. So in okay. other words, Whenever I was in banking, I had some really wealthy clients. People were much wealthier than I was at the time because I was just a corporate America guy. And even though I was doing well, it was far from what these guys were doing. And just paying attention to my clients that like would come in with like two, three hundred K deposits every like four or five months. Yeah. I was like, wait, like, how do you make that kind of money? Right. So instead of asking them, I would pay attention. And then what I would do is I would find out what profession they're in, right? You know, because I would read their checks and I was like, someone was like, oh, real estate this, or this was finance or this. And I was like, okay. So then I would research myself before even asking them a single question, just to try to understand what the process was. And then if I had an extra one or two questions, it was a very targeted question. So my life, to answer your question, was more built on the idea of interacting with people and being around incredible people. And they never found me and I didn't get lucky. Like I was in part of a club where like all the rich people were. Right, it was more right. like, hey, like I just paid attention to who had what I wanted. And then I paid attention to what they did to get it. Like that's why I started Secret. I mean, you just said it yourself. You said, I didn't even know you were the guy. Part of the Secret Entourage methodology in, in beginning was about giving people a perspective into the lives of people who had found a lot of success, but without me telling them what to look for, just giving them great stories of great people and allowing Mm -hmm. their curiosity and inspiration to be like, oh, that guy did it. That's interesting. Maybe I'll want to research more about this and see if this is interesting to me or not. Yeah. So that's the whole idea behind this topic of networking that I like to really hit home, especially on these interviews, is that a lot of people, when I talk to them, PJ, is like, they tell me, oh, it's definitely what you know. Like, you got it. It doesn't matter if you don't know anything. It doesn't matter who you know. And I'm just like, okay, well, it seems like the majority of the time that I've learned a lot about a certain topic, it hasn't been from getting in and doing it. It's been from 
getting in and learning from somebody who has done it. And to me, that's still networking, right? Like rubbing shoulders with people like the most I'm the same way as you. I've forced myself to be a reader recently because I know that it's beneficial. But my parents literally, I told them how many books I read last year. My parents were blown away because they used to try to pay me to read. They used to like do so much stuff to try to get me to read. And I just never did it. I hated it. I was always a sports guy. Never liked to you know do any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that was why I started this podcast because it was like, I looked back and I was like, what do I attribute most of my success to at this point? And it was always, always, always a relationship with somebody that was just killing it in an arena that I wanted to kill it in. So when I started in door-to-door, the first six figures I made in door-to-door sales was because I got around a guy who made seven figures in door-to-door sales. Mm -hmm. And I learned exactly the way he did it. I didn't try to reinvent the wheel. I did exactly what he told me to do and it worked and I made money. (laughs) And so- Dude, success is contagious, man. And not only it's contagious, but it's also that what it does, I talk about this a lot in third circle theory, but Most of our life is built around observation, right? Our ability to observe things. Because Mm -hmm. what that observations do is it fuels fuels belief more than anything else. So Mm -hmm. if you are around a guy that does seven-figure in door-to-door sales, then that's a possibility for you because you've seen it. It's happening right there in front of you. There's no reason why you can't aim for that. And Mm -hmm. then even if you fall short to six figures, well, then so what? If you live in cities like Miami... LA, you see everybody driving Ferraris, Lamborghinis and everything, and you see them and they're 20, 21, 22, your belief system just believes in what is possible. Yes, right. Exactly. Like, so, so what happens is it's triggered and then you seek more answers. So every human being works off of two basic functions, which I mean, this may or may not be networking based, but it's input from your eyes and output from your hands. So in other words, we take in like 60 to 70,000% more input a day then we can put out because we have two hands, right? But mm-hmm. our eyes are constantly consuming information. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that that overload in the input is what creates an inability to focus. So the only reason we create output, which is things we can do to create, is because we have skills to connect the input that came in to output we wish to create. Mm-hmm. So a perfect, very simple example, and I won't bore you guys with this because it's more like psychology than anything else, but <laughs> is like, think about it this way. So many people want to start a business. Like Mm -hmm. so many kids today are like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start a business. They surround themselves with thousands of books, hundreds of podcasts. They listen to every single dude that's had anything successful to say. They get the motivation. They get everything. They get the belief. The input comes in. There is no skill. There is no output. So there's confusion. There's a stop. Mm. However, If you tell me we want to start, let's say me and you today, Travis, decide we're going to start a business. doesn't even matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Because I have the skills, literally tomorrow morning we'll have a business running. Because the input came in, the output created based on the skill that was relevant there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What happens is people lack true talent and skills. And as a result of it, they can't connect what they're receiving to what they're creating. So it creates this huge disconnect for them. And that's why reading more books isn't going to help someone if they don't learn to work on their skill and talents because they'll have nothing to create. Do you think it comes down to basically just like taking all what you just said, putting it down into one phrase? It's basically just a lack of taking action. Like they try to consume, 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 but never actually go do it. So they don't actually develop that skill. Not always, because taking action in the wrong realm doesn't necessarily help you. Now, if you have zero skills, yes, taking some action will force you to earn and learn skills, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But too many people don't pay attention to themselves and focus on the reward structure 
instead of the internal capacity to create the reward. Hmm. So everybody, if you ask every single person that doesn't have a business, what do they want in the next five years? Every one of them has some kind of answer that pertains to, I want a Lamborghini. I want to be rich. I want a nice house. I want a nice car. I want to provide for my family. I want to help gazelles in Africa. I don't know, right? <laughs> whatever it is, whatever yeah. it is, right? yeah. everybody has their thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens, right? Everybody has their own like view. That's a reward structure, right? Now, mm-hmm. maybe one guy out of a hundred will be like, I want to be the number one chef in South Florida. I want to be the number one auto body shop across my street here in Chicago. Like, again, the everything they talk about is built off of reward because they have no skill to create that reward. So they don't understand how to work on a craft or on a skill. They only understand what they wish to obtain based on skills and talents they're not paying attention to. And it's only that way because... It's simple. It's simpler to focus on what you want right, right. and to work on what takes work. But the outcome is that that's why nine out of 10 people that try still stay poor after like 20 years of trying. And that one guy that's struggling for 20 years suddenly all of a sudden became an overnight success story. Right. And yeah. been 14 body shops. And now he's like, yeah, I have two Ferraris. So what? Yeah. 20 years of uh, overnight success. Yeah. That's exactly well, what it appears to be most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you focus on your craft until your craft is so good that people are the ones chasing you to pay. Like they want to pay you. So they chase you, not you chase your clients, but they mm-hmm. chase you. Right. Right. Let's boil it down to one thing here at the end, PJ, like there's just one tip. So if somebody just tuned in for this last minute, and if you did just do that, you should definitely go listen to the rest of this interview. But if you just tuned in for this last minute and they just want to get one really practical tip on how to grow their network, what would that one tip be? Don't pitch people. I think if you're talking about networking here, stop pitching what you want. Everything we talked about in this interview, Travis, comes down to the same basic concept. The one question you just asked, if you know your skill and talent, You don't have to sell yourself every 15 seconds to everybody so they earn or pay for your service. Hmm. Make network with people that you have commonality with, meaning like you love cars, meet other individuals who love cars who are also valuable in their fields. Now, so find commonality, become good friends with people, be genuine in your approach to people, and eventually you'll notice that people will flock to you every day wanting you to do things for them because no one likes to be sold to, but everybody loves to buy. So Mm -hmm. the key to a network is your ability to have access to all of these incredible people around you, all of their resources, all of their things they do, right? Like whatever it is, and they will come to you if they like you. You don't even have to tell them what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, I have so many of my friends that are like, they don't even know what I do, but we're friends and, you know, we're car buddies, whatever. Mm-hmm, and randomly right. one day they'll be like, hey, I'm trying to buy this watch. Do you know a, a good guy that knows a guy? And I'm like, yeah, you're joking, right? Like, <laughs> and he's like, no, like, you know, like, yeah. but what I'm saying is it doesn't even matter, but they still come to me. Right. And what I'm saying is that even if, if they know they're already coming to me, if they don't know, they're still coming to me for advice because people buy from trusted sources. People network with people they trust. People exchange business cards with people who they don't give a shit about. You know, they give mm-hmm. a card because they don't want to talk to you. So anytime you get a card at a at a networking event, you trash it because it'll never amount to anything. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter. The only time that it matters is when someone engages in meaningful conversation with someone else. And as a result of it is able to create a good 
relationship to just have a friend, have a person to talk to. Exactly. And over time, business will come out of it. So don't rush to close sales on the first time you meet some bird. Yeah. I love everything you just said, man. That is literally the reason this show exists is because people treat networking like it's an in-person cold call instead of treating it like you would treat building a friendship with somebody that you you know met at the pub on Saturday night. Like It's the same exact thing. Just be genuine, talk about things that interest you, create a real relationship and realize that the ROI on that may never come. And if it does, it probably won't be tomorrow. So stop making it so short-term, think long-term, build real, genuine relationships. So much awesome stuff that we've talked about so far today, PJ. Let's go ahead and move on to the last round here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Mm -hmm. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? I think I'd be a great lawyer. I wish I had the balls to actually read books. You know, I would have made a good <laughs> debater. <laughs> if you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? I would love to talk to Elon Musk, not on an interview basis, just about his perspective on life. I always see him to be very disconnected from the rest of the world. Hmm. And he looks at the world as peasants, like meaning like not in the sense of money, but in the sense of understanding. Hmm. And I share a lot of similarities in the way I look at certain aspects of life. And I'm just I would love a real genuine 30 minute, no restriction kind of conversation as a friend. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I wake up every single day, eight o'clock, no matter what, I try to hit the gym and otherwise I check email by 11 and I absolutely do nothing till like 2 p.m. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh man, that's tough, man. I was going to say I'm a Barbie girl, but I don't think that would like <laughs> qualify. <laughs> so. Hey, whatever gets you going, bro. <laughs> whatever. I'm not here to judge. <laughs> no, I mean, I have so many songs. I really love, I tell you actually, Edward Maya. Actually, I tell you what, Alan Walker alone. What is something that you are not very good at? Now dealing with people and customer service. I suck at it. Mm. I'm telling I have zero patience for that stuff. Uh, <laughs> so get everything wrapped up here, man. What is one place online where we'll be able to find you the most? Definitely Instagram, because I think I'm an ancient grandpa that doesn't know how to use social media. <laughs> so I still actually just post photos to my grid and barely upload anything to a story. Yeah. So if you like just still looking at things, the traditional way of looking at a real image and not a story of self-created to make myself look cooler than <laughs> I am, then... Absolutely. Look me up on Instagram. I am at I create millionaires. Perfect. So go to Instagram at I create millionaires to follow PJ, some of the stuff he's putting out there. Also at Secret Entourage. It's a huge account that he puts out a lot of great content on. Like I said, that was one thing I've been following for a really long time. And it's something that if you are just now getting into the space and want to connect with other people, you definitely should check out some of that kind of stuff. But uh, he's got so many different things. If you want to learn flipping luxury watches or how to drive an exotic car for free, that kind of stuff, this is the guy to learn from. So Pajman, thanks a lot for coming on the show today, brother. I had a great time chatting with you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Travis. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. When you need 
mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.